Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton, and this is part four of our six-plus part. I guess I should just call it six-plus part series because we've got six episodes of listener questions about home walls and spray walls, but then several of the questions are going to warrant their own episodes because they're just too big to put into this format. Oh, this is news to me. Yeah, we we went through it on day one, but I've conveniently let you forget about that. So (laughs) now you're trapped into like 12 episodes instead of just six. Okay. (laughs) I'm here with my friend Zach Alexander from 42 North Bouldering. And we recently collaborated on a course for home wall owners, spray wall users called Boulder Builder. Um, that will help you kind of see your wall through a different lens and and interact with it. You know, it gives you a framework for interacting with it. Yeah, I think so. How would you describe, if someone asked you, what is Boulder Builder, how would you describe it? Oof. Uh, because people do ask me. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. I'm glad they're asking you and not me. And it's one of the things I'm bad at. I like to make things. I don't like to describe what they are. Oh, I, yeah. I kind of feel similarly <laughs> about that. Uh, I think, wow, it would be like um, the thing where you immediately like assess what level of detail you're going to describe it to said person in. But I would, you know, say that it's... Um, what I've told people in the kitchen at work where uh, they, they're not, you know, rock climbers. They like know that I climb in a garage, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, before work. Like that's kind of a few of them have seen pictures of your wall, but that's it. Yeah. I, I tell them it's choosing what, uh, what holds to use on the wall. And like we've been creating a, an online class for how to decide to which holds to use and like how to make boulders that, you know, help you be a better rock climber. So maybe I would say something like that for like a really introduction or or introductory or like cursory level, you know, statement on it. But wow, if it was a rock climber, dude, I would just tell them it's, it's strictly like at its surface just at its surface, uh, an online class about setting boulders on boards and spray walls to help you, you know, get the most out of your time there. Yeah. That are more effective for you. Yeah. We all have a limited amount of time. No, totally. It's really easy to waste that. I mean, wow. It'd be pretty hard to distill 12 hours or eight hours of it us talking and information on it into a couple sentences. But I do think at its base level, that is the notion. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And that's my struggle, distilling eight hours of us discussing these things into a couple of sentences someone's going to (laughs) read. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to do. Um, But if you're interested, if you're a spray wall user, if you're a home wall owner, then I do think it does help you 
dig in deeper to the the things that will allow you to make better choices when you're in there. So um, check it out. It's in the show notes and it's right there in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, let's jump into these questions. Awesome. We've got a lot more to go. And this one's actually, I think, going to be a really good short episode. There's some there's some good questions here. Um, Tyler Algeo asks, what about setting for specific movement drills? And I'm actually mostly against specific setting for movement drills. And, and there's a couple reasons for that. I used to be more accepting of it. Like I'm going to set this boulder that's specifically hard for me to do hovers or whatever drill it is you're going to do. Um, and that can still be valuable, but I think there's more value for more climbers in experiencing different positions, um, different, you know, different hold arrangements and finding how those things relate to the drills, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, I want to get better at hovers. So I'm going to set this thing that's hard for me with hovers. The ultimate goal is to get better at climbing and in climbing, you're going to be thrown every possible body position, hold combination, um, every possible way to create tension, which if we're talking hovers, that's kind of the main component. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to learn it in one way. I want you to try every, every possible variation. And that's why I like to see it done just on regular problems, problems that can be done other ways as well. Yeah. Or should be done other ways as well. So personally, you don't set very many boulders specifically for a movement drill. No, no. And one of the, one of the things that science backs us on here is that randomization is one of the key components of effective practice. Yeah. And climbing is just set up in a way that it's already random for you. Unless, unless you're doing all your climbing on a systems wall where it's the same hold, the same position over, 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 Mm -hmm. then by climbing existing boulders that weren't set for this purpose, then you're getting a lot of that randomization and you can learn a lot from how those different positions work with different drills and and there's just as much value in learning what doesn't work well as there is in what does work well. Interesting. So you are doing your movement drills just in a, on a variety of different boulders so yep. that you get a higher level of diversity in the positions and things that you're practicing these drills in. Yeah, exactly. I, I you know, there is... There's an argument for the specificity of if you want to get better at this specific move, practice that specific move, right? Sure. Um, You know, but if we look at, you know, for instance, you're a basketball fan. If we look at basketball studies that have been done with shots, um, someone practicing a shot from one spot on the floor with no defender in their face can get really good at that one shot, but they take a step to the right and try the same shot and all of a sudden they're missing it 
far more often because it's slightly different, you know, or you put a defender in their face and it's slightly different, then they can't make the shot. Um, there have been some studies where people can get to almost 100% from one specific position, mm-hmm. but then a slight move and it drops dramatically back to the average for most people. Yeah, I've read, uh, being a basketball fan, I've read about a few different basketball players who are notoriously poor free throw shooters. Shaq. Yeah, and uh, in hindsight, people looking at their methods of practice and how you know they would have changed that in order to make them more effective free throw shooters, in essence, yeah, or whatever. And a lot of it is randomization. That mm-hmm. was one of the the biggest points that I read about. So. Yeah. So I think, you know, climbing is specifically already set up really well for that. Um, so, you know, Tyler, I know that you have a kilter board, so I would do your movement drills on random kilter board problems. Um, switch it up from time to time when you feel like you've kind of mastered one or one doesn't challenge you in a way, try another, you know, you're, you're going to find that different moves challenge different drills differently. That's a lot of the word different. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would do. I wouldn't set specifically for it unless it's a specific move you're trying to learn. And then it doesn't necessarily have to be a movement drill. It's more about learning that move so you can apply it to your specific performance. And like you said, learning what doesn't work is also very important. Absolutely. Maybe more important than learning what does. Yeah. Because then you don't have to sift through as much to come to the right conclusion. Absolutely. So, all right, next up, KG Iverson, speaking of basketball. Nice. um, Determining rough grades on a spray wall. This is kind of a big topic, actually. um, And one that I find really interesting. We've recently been trying to figure out what spray wall app to use now that eat spray love is um having some issues and i just because we've mentioned eat spray love in other episodes um, we know that it's not working for iphone anymore and i've talked to the developer and um, he's done what he can he's waiting on a third party to see if they follow through and if that happens then fingers crossed Eat, Spray, Love will be back online. If not, I've recently checked out Retro Flash. Yep. And I talked to the developer of Retro Flash, and he's got uh, an update coming this this coming week that will address some of the issues that that I brought up um, for spray walls, home walls in particular. Um, but that's a good option, uh, this new Retro Flash app, and it looks amazing. The, the interface is is great. Um, but one of my issues with spray wall apps is that they force you to use grades. And in our gym, in the machine shop, we, we've chosen not to use the typical grading scale and the scale that we use. A lot of the people who climb in there don't even know the scale. Um, I know what it is, but a lot of people don't, and I don't know what, V grades or font grades that scale correlates to. I have no clue. And I think that's made for a much healthier environment in the gym, personally. I agree. I don't even think about grades when I'm in there. Yeah. 
if everything, I mean, I know this is an impossible question to answer accurately, but if everything in there did have a V grade, do you think you would be thinking about those grades? Yes. I think so. I would. I, when I climbed in a commercial gym, um, for all of my training, I heard people talking V grades constantly. Yep. And this is soft. This is sandbagged. You know, there's a lot of that conversation and a lot of avoidance of things that, that might challenge you more than you think that V grade should. Absolutely. You know, I would see people avoid those all the time. And I was just talking to our friend Hannah, who climbs in the machine shop. And she said, without my prompting, I might add, that when she first started climbing in there, she tried to attach V grades to everything. Like she wanted to know what the V grade was because that was just the paradigm she had. And now she doesn't even consider it. She is more concerned about the personal challenge of each boulder. And the V grade just doesn't matter. There's not as much ego tied up in it because there's not this thing to compare yourself against. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's just this open-ended challenge. You have no idea what it represents. Yeah. So for me, determining rough grades on a spray wall, I just don't do it. Well, I like the, the adjective associated here, the rough. word rough. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, that gives us a little bit of a, uh, wiggle room in answering this question. I mean, I don't understand why the relative grading system that we have in the machine shop couldn't be more ubiquitous or something, you know, that's synonymous to it. That's not a V grade system. Couldn't be used on your spray wall or your home wall or your board or whatever it is. Yeah. The one thing I will say as far as like why you should have some sort of difficulty scale is for if there are a bunch of people climbing in your gym and you have a bunch of problems in there, then it is helpful for them to filter through, you know, just to say it's, there's no point. I want to try something hard. So I don't want to filter through all these problems that are too easy for my target for the day. And I also don't want to spend a bunch of time trying to sift through the ones that are way too hard. Yep. Um, so, so some sort of filtering is good. And we have six different grades uh, that encompass V0 to V29 or whatever. And, and those six grades seem to be fine for filtering through. Yep. Like you, you know roughly what zone you want to be climbing in. And if you can filter for that zone then it makes finding problems pretty easy. And you you also never know whether those problems are going to be a little challenging or whether you're going to do them quickly, which I think is a, a good place to be, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> I like that. I like that. I, you know, three to six or so delineations and difficulty to help people sort through the library of boulders a little quicker makes good sense to me. But beyond that, leaving out like ego or any sort of preconceived notions that you have about difficulty, I mean, I think that's to our benefit, you know? Yep. 
Yeah, and I know the the folks at Tension Climbing on their uh, on their on the Beast Wall, their big spray wall. They they have like ranges, so V six to V nine or something like that is a yep. range. Yep. Um, my friends Matt and Liz in Canada also don't use grades on their spray wall, and and I've talked to both of those groups and and they all say the same thing that it's just led to people embracing challenge in a in a healthier way that promotes growth differently than you know than the avoidance of sandbags or soft grades or whatever. Totally. I have some uh some friends, some climbing partners who I've spent a bunch of time bouldering with outside and they've never really told me the grades of something. If I've asked about a boulder, they've always referred to it as one, two, or three hands difficulty. So like V1 to V5. How do they How do they signify three hands difficulty? Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. They say, they say three hands. Well, it could be like a pantomime thing, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's still a very basic way of breaking it down yeah. into three levels to encompass all of rock climbing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It feels like that ubiquitously outside. I wouldn't complain. Yeah. And, you know, KG, I think that the, the V grade system or the font grade system is far from perfect anyway. You can climb on the same boulder and find a thing that feels sandbag to you and a thing that feels super soft to you. The, the V grade system, all the systems we have just don't do a good job of it. So um, really, however you want to to decide what the grades are, fine, do it. Um, what I would do personally is just look more at the challenge. You know, if I can find something that's, say, V6, which is a grade I feel pretty comfortable at, if I can find a, something that someone else thinks is V6 but really challenges me, pfft, even better. Um, but some people hearing that V6 word would shy away from it. And so if that's going to be the case, I would rather just let them know that it's challenging for them and it's going to help them grow and be better and they should embrace it. Yeah. I mean, I think the amorphous grading scale we have here has helped establish a culture of people, you know, giving good efforts and not having negative associations to difficulty when they're climbing on the wall and whatever rough grade scale you want to incorporate for yourself to, you know, build a positive culture of effort and embracing challenge on your wall. That's the best. Yep. Absolutely. And in our Boulder Builder course, we don't even use grades. There's not a grade uttered one time as far as I know. No, it's all relative <laughs> difficulty scales. Yeah. Just from easiest warm up to limit project, we we kind of talk in those terms. Yep. So, and I think that's a healthier way. All right. Next up, uh, Kyle Spurgeon asks the benefit of small bunchy moves. It's easy to just go big, and I think that this is one of one of the things that we struggled with a little bit early on when we were making the boulder builder course, but that we figured out in a really great way. And we, we have this new framework for looking at how to alter the variables in a boulder problem 
in order to get the most out of it. And most people default to a worse hold or a bigger move. Yep. But there's a lot more to difficulty than just those two things. And I think you're hitting on it here, Kyle. Um, Small bunchy moves, which I've called boxamichis for a while because my friend Peter Bonamici is really good in these small boxes, especially in his shoulders. And, and those are a weak point for me. So I've spent a bit of time watching him climb and trying to understand his tension. And, and so I started calling those boxamichis and just working on those sorts of problems. I've spent quite a bit of time there and and I think it's so valuable to find something other than what you assume is going to be hard that is really challenging for you. Yeah, I uh, I can speak a little bit to, you know, falling into the trap of worse hold and bigger moves. You know, I've done it a lot. And as a taller climber, bigger moves I enjoy. But I am often thwarted more in my climbing by boxes inside of my shoulders and tic-tac-y positions, tic-tac-y movements than I am by big moves, dynamic moves, large pulls. So I think it's something that we've done a pretty good job of setting quite a bit of in there and practicing quite a bit of in there. And through the process of building that course and trying to find a way to convey that to other people so that they have something to grab onto. I, I mean, I think that I've developed a higher level of understanding of it and it's been beneficial to find that. Yeah. One thing I think is really interesting about this idea of, you know, small boxes versus big boxes is the word tension. We, we tend to think of, when you ask about tension or talk about tension, we tend to think of really spread out, extended, like, can I hold this foot that's way out here and this hand that's way out here in this super extended position? You know, that's, that's what we think of when we imagine the word tension. But in reality, I, for me, the tension is harder to create when the foot is really close to my hands. And I'm in this weird box that hangs my butt out into space. And, you know, how do I create that tension through all those joint angles? I'm really good at it when my joints are just straight, you know, and I'm out stiff as a board. Then I can create tons of tension. You bunch me up in this little box and it's much harder for me to connect that through my whole body. I'm in the same boat there. Yeah. And I bet a lot of people are and. And they just imagine tension as this extended thing. Um, So I would definitely challenge you on your home wall, spray wall, whatever, to find those little boxes. And even if the holds are pretty good, the orientation of the hold can make a massive difference in in creating that tension. You know, you turn holds in so that you're more in a Gaston position or out so that you're in this compression position in a weird little box, mm-hmm. you know, can can teach you a lot about how to create tension in those strange positions. And I mean, just practice being more creative. Like Kyle said, it's very easy to just think, oh, I need to go bigger to go harder. Yeah, I 
am certainly going to be an echo chamber here for the practice element of it. There's no substitute for the time of intentional practice and creating things that are difficult for yourself that aren't just big moves on worse holds. And if, I don't know, if you're curious about it, check out the course because we spend a substantial amount of time talking about the variables that can be adjusted to change the difficulty of something. Right, four variables for each hold is what we ultimately came up with. Exactly, that aren't just distance and uh, size or severity as we have chosen of the hold. Um, There's an image on the the Power Company Climbing Teachables page. It'll it'll actually be on my Instagram this week. Sweet. That image will be up on the Power Company Instagram this week. And I mean, you know, put a little bit of uh, thought energy into it and then, and then practice. Yeah. And whichever of those variables you, you don't often alter, start changing that one more. Yep. And it'll put you in different boxes and different types of tension, different types of movement. Yeah. And if you, you know, have a climbing partner like you do with, uh, with Peter that you get to look at and be like, I am not good at that. I don't move like that. You know, look at it, imitate it. Yep. And I'll, I'll also say this before we, you know, move to another question. If you're a short climber and you think, oh, because I'm short, I'm really good at getting bunchy. Throw that thought out the window and, and really dig into getting even more bunchy. Use, use the attributes you have to their fullest advantage. I can't tell you how many times I've climbed, done sessions with shorter climbers who think, oh, I'm already as good as I can be. I've already mastered using high feet or bunchy positions. And I'm able to get into a bunchier position and still make it work than they are a lot of the time. And I'm not good in those positions. So don't let the fact that you're short make you believe you've already mastered that skill. There's, you might be predisposed to being better at it and you just haven't explored it because you've been told, oh, you're short, you can get bunchy. So. I mean, you might be good at it, but you can always be better. Yeah. And frankly, that's, I see most shorter climbers needing to be better at that skill. Interesting. I mean, we hear it in the machine shop all the time. Lana's like, that foot's too high. Yeah. And I'm like, you're half my size. Well, you know, if you're shorter, you probably end up practicing doing large moves more often just because of your, you know, your body type. Yep. So. And we all have our box. Like we all have the box where we're comfortable, the positions we're comfortable. Get outside that, get inside that. Yeah. You know, try all the things. I'm just trying to make that box bigger. You can't make it bigger. You're, you have the biggest box possible. No, the metaphorical box of comfort, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to make my comfortable box larger. <laughs> Me too. Constantly. All right. Thanks, Kyle. That's a good, really good question that a lot of people skip over, actually. Uh, Next up is from Mac and Choss. That's a good name. Setting things that don't suck without external input. And this question is a little confusing to me because it's only when I get external input that my boulders seem to suck. When it's only me inputting, they're all amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> no, uh, this actually is a good question, and it sort of goes along with this next row of questions we have. So I'll just lots of people asked about setting outside your style. Um, Torin Edge asked about setting outside your style when it's only you setting. And then Arish asked calling yourself out on repetitive setting. And all of these kind of go together. Um, boulders, first off, boulders only suck if you think they do. You know, a bad boulder can still teach you a lot. Um, so if it's, if you think you just made up a bad boulder, but it's challenging you and teaching you, um, then learn what it has to offer and, and then find the good part of that boulder and make a variation, you know, that has more good parts. I think that's a, something that isn't used enough on home walls, spray walls are variations. You could literally make unlimited variations off of one very cool move. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you use some sort of a strategy so that your boulders don't suck? Uh, what quality? By the way, boulder? the ones that are just too reachy for me suck. No, they don't. Quality <laughs> is so largely subjective yeah. that it's sort of a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Um, I mean, what you think sucks and what I think sucks are different. You know, when we're talking about outdoor rock climbs, it's a little bit easier to start bringing a slight level of objectivity into um, star ratings or quality ratings because of things like rock quality and aesthetic value and landings and all of these like things. Well, his, his name or her name is Mac and Choss. And Choss, right? So, so the lack of Choss, but you know, maybe you're a Choss wrangler and you love Choss. Um but when you're talking about quality of boulder problems on a spray wall or on a board, I mean, it's you're climbing on plastic holds, so the choss thing is out the window. It's do you like the grip? Totally relative. And then movement quality, I mean, you know, there's like really unique moves that are cool, like rose moves or dinos or toe hooks or whatever the heck it is, you Always know? Always toe hooks. Bicycles, like all that stuff is really cool. But, you know, it's still so relative and subjective. So I, you know, when it comes to setting boulders that don't suck, I mean, I'm going to immediately filter it through uh, how much did I enjoy it and how useful was it, you know, because yeah. those are the two <clears throat> things that I go in there for. It's my enjoyment because it keeps me sane and I love it. And, you know, because I'm constantly trying to improve, it's my medium, one of my mediums in life for self-improvement. And so that's why I'm in there. Uh, so it's like through that lens that I'm assessing if something is of quality or if it sucks. And then I'm just honest with myself. Like, you know, do I think that that's helping me? Did I enjoy it? Was it risky? Am I going to get hurt? Is it too hard for me? You know, whatever. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that can sort of lead to us believing that something sucks is if it's been this repetitive thing that we've done over and over and over and we're bored by it. And, and you can start to look at 
how you've set your wall, number one, um, do all the holds face the same direction? Are they all at similar angles? Are they all similar type of grip? You know, switch that up as much as you can, and it's going to help this repetitive idea. And then, and, and I would say go beyond what you think makes sense. We tend to stick in our own little, you know, idea of what is correct, air quotes. And, and everything is potentially correct. So if you think a hold should be at this angle, turn it a little more. You know, turn it the opposite way. You can do all sorts of things. If you think a hold doesn't belong on your steep wall because it's just unusable, put it there anyway. See what happens. You know, there's, we very rarely believe what's possible at first. We have to convince ourselves of it. So, so go beyond what your normal predilection is for putting this hold on or, you know, the orientation of that hold, whatever that is. And that'll help open up your style. It'll help open up more interesting things that don't seem to suck as bad. Yeah. I think maybe what I'm going to say next is going to bleed over into the other questions here that we've sort of lumped together into setting uh, around your style or quality or whatever. But I mean, exercise your most creative ambitions, you know, practice those. Like if you have this notion of something that you want to set and it just seems wild and improbable, well, give it a few minutes of effort and try it and tinker with it a little bit. Practice that creative thinking and then, you know, setting and and see where it takes you try you know to think about a giant variety of movements and draw inspiration from all of the things that you've seen in videos or tried outside or whatever that you think is cool whatever you think doesn't suck it's outside of your normal realm practice it see what happens yeah in the in the boulder builder course we give a a list called flashpoints, these kind of actionable tasks that you can do on your wall to, you know, to, to push yourself in different directions. Um, yeah. They're creativity exercises. <clears throat> yep. And a couple of those might be, you know, and that would fit into this um, setting things that don't suck, setting outside your style and not being so repetitive. Um, number one, find a hold on your wall that never gets used that you just avoid all the time. You've thought about changing it, target that hold and then build a problem around that hold. Um, that's a good way to get started and an easy way to get started. And then something you just alluded to, you know, if you want to set outside your style, let's say you're a, a really slow static sloth like climber, watch, watch a video of Jimmy Webb, doing what Jimmy Webb does really well and, or Tomoa does really well and, you know, jumping around on holds and then try to set a boulder that looks like that one that just looks ridiculous to you. Um, try to come up with something that looks similar on your wall. And I think that's a good actionable, you know, easy way to, to start exploring outside of your style or start exploring things differently than what you normally go to. Yeah. I think um, the flashpoints list that we've created and put in the course is uh, 
it's a nice way to give and explore direction into specific setting or boulder building challenges to help you diversify and expand your skill set when it comes to setting on the home walls. Yeah. And it's split up into three sections, learn, practice, master, which are kind of like the easier, more open-ended tasks versus the, you're going to have to think about a lot more things to make this one task work. Um, So it's kind of split up into those sections and and I think it represents a a great collection of ways to get more creative and just explore using your wall in a a better way. Yeah. You know, we all and this is something I've seen recently by going through all these home wall apps trying to decide which one we're going to use if Heat Spray Love ends up not being able to update. Um a lot of them are stuck in this commercial gym paradigm and your home wall doesn't have to be that your home wall can be so much more than that. You know, a spray wall can be so much more than that commercial gym paradigm allows for. And, and I think exploring that is only going to make you a better, more complete climber. So, so I definitely suggest you know, at least going into that course and checking out the free preview sections of the course. Um, There are several of those. Each section has one free preview module that people can check out. And maybe those will spark some ideas for you. Um, You can find that right there in the show notes, in your pocket supercomputers, or on the YouTubes if you're there. Click on that. You can also find Zach at 42northbouldering.com and 42 the numbers, right? Yep, 42. And it's live now. It's the website's live. The Instagram's live. The YouTube channel is... Live and growing. Live and growing. Yeah. Yeah. Lots more to come on there. Oh, yeah. And we are live and growing, even though we're already this mini tentacled monster that is barely controllable at this point yeah but your tentacles are getting bigger they are (laughs) and stronger um so check us out powercompanyclimbing.com you can also find us on the instagrams the facebook's the pinterest's i think we're still there i really don't know i haven't looked at pinterest in ever um but i think we're there and we're obviously on the youtubes especially if you're watching us there and and we appreciate the fact that a lot of you on YouTube have jumped into the comments and answered questions that we didn't know how to answer in the videos and um, just the commentary on there. I appreciate it. So thank you. And um, you can look for us on the Twitter. We'll, we'll be there in spirit. But we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 I didn't know how to interrupt you, but I now have
time to bend. 